0: All right, well, tonight uh, I'm coming to uh, say what is a fairly obvious truism to all of those of us who are paying any attention to happenings uh, in the world and around the world right now, and that is that we live in interesting times. And uh, I heard, I think I saw on Twitter recently somebody saying, I want to be in the empty part of the history book. That, that, does seem, that does seem about right. Living through the times of the history books where there's a lot of things written on it, not quite as fun necessarily. But we live in interesting times and we live in times that sometimes can cause stress and anxiety. There's a lot of concern with having uh, large global events taking place that are not in your hands, not in your control. And there's also some anxiety, some trepidation that some of us may have about the future of a variety of different things, not simply just on a global scale, not simply of our world, not simply of our nation, or of our, perhaps our political power or party, but also of our own family, of our own relationships, perhaps even some trepidation about our own spiritual future. Well, we come today to a parable that I don't uh, think gets a whole lot of attention. A parable here in Mark chapter 4, kind of a, a, a second retelling of the parable of the sower. So the parable of the sower gets a lot more attention, both because it has a lot more detail and because uh, Jesus explains it. That makes it it much simpler. And so we hear a lot spoken about the parable of the sower and not so much about this particular parable of the sower. And in addition, it's interesting because the parable of the sower appears in other Gospels. Uh, But from what I could tell, this is the only parable that is unique to Mark. This is the only parable that only appears in Mark. Mark. The others, uh, the other writers of the gospel, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, certainly there were certain parables that were big hits, as it were. They wanted to make sure that got in there. This was only Mark who uh, put this in. And so we read this, and it's a short parable. It's kind of small. But for me, it's a parable of hope. It's a parable of hope because it is a reminder of a very important and, I think, joyful truth that it's important for each of us to remember. And this is something that's stated elsewhere in Scripture as well, which is that God is the one responsible for fruit. Now, I'm going to get to this. There's many a limiting truth here. There's many a balancing truth, as it were. And yet, fundamentally, I don't think it's verging into hyper-Calvinism to say that Scripture says very clearly that growth comes from God. But there's something more specific about this parable that I think distinguishes it from Mark, uh, from the other parable, the sower in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, the 1 through uh, 9... I believe, is speaking about sowing in the concept of the Word of God in individual hearts. Okay? And each one of us sees in that parable, there's very much a focus in that parable on balance of personal responsibility and of the power of God. There's the responsibility that you have for your own heart, the stoniness of your own heart, the busyness or the choking out of other distractions in your own heart, the hardness of your own heart. We have responsibility for these things. When we read the parable of the sower at the beginning of Mark chapter 4, we are to read it in two different uh, modes. We are meant to read it both as the sower and as the ground. Each one of us, is in if we're a Christian, is in the business of sowing seed. So we need to read this as the sower to understand that we sow liberally and understand that some of this seed uh, may fall on good ground and others on bad ground, but our job is to sow. We also read it as those who are possessing the hearts that the seed of God enters. What do we see in this parable of the sower? something different. We don't see much example of, we don't see much uh, 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 indication of the type of ground. There's a similar parable in Matthew Matthew that talks about uh, sowing of tares and of good, uh, good seed and it coming up. We don't see any of that here. And I think that's very important because this focuses In the very first verse, the very first clause of the verse, on something, this is a comparison that I think is slightly different than the parable of the sower that we generally think of. And he said, So is the kingdom of God. So is the kingdom of God. This is a parable that is not primarily focused, I would say, on the individual work of God in human hearts. This is not primarily focused of each human being's responsibility and reception of the word of God and of the call of God. This is focused on the kingdom of God. And I looked up this word to see if there was any mistake. No, this is specifically a reign or a kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. And I think that unlocks this parable and the focus of this parable to be seen in a different way. Because each one of us would acknowledge, if we were to be straight up asked about it, that God, of course, is in control of his great work on earth. That it's God's power. It's not our power. And furthermore, we would acknowledge that, in fact, man cannot stand against it. This great drama of redemption that is ongoing... This is not something that can be resisted by the gates of hell, for example. It cannot be resisted. God's work is going forward. In a general sense, an a international sense, as it were, God is omnipotent and God's kingdom will grow and will go forward as he requires it to. And so each one of us would acknowledge it as a truth. And yet I think our interaction with the kingdom of God, our uh, relationship with the growth of the kingdom of God ought to be informed by this parable here and the principle that it's relating. And if we've gotten out of balance with this, then we need to come back within balance. And I think studying this passage uh, may help to uh, bring us back into balance and into accordance with God's view of his kingdom. Before we get into that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we can come together. Lord, I thank you for the blessing that it is to be in your house, to be uh, able to gather together and worship you. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time, that you would bless uh, this study of, of your passage of scripture here, that that. Uh, describes uh, your kingdom and your power. Lord, I pray that we would rest in you, that we would trust in you, and Lord, that we would work in the harvest field that you have placed us. In your name, amen. Now, again, each one of us would acknowledge the truth in this passage. Let me just read this passage over again. It's very short. So is the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is a similar Uh, This is an analogy, a metaphor for the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now again, each one of us would acknowledge, would acknowledge the power of god over his kingdom. And yet, and yet there's a temptation that can crawl in to do one of two things. There's uh, again a, a bouncing principle that we will get into. One is, of course, the let go and let god model. This is somebody who perhaps doesn't really believe in human responsibility They believe in a very uh, strict version of uh, God's uh, sovereignty. So they say, uh, God will make me as righteous as he wants to make me. Okay, And God will do, bring what souls into the kingdom he wants to bring in. And therefore, I don't have to worry about it too much. Of course, that is a dangerous fallacy. We see here in this passage, this is a man who is doing the normal Responsibilities of a farmer. Okay, he is planting, he is harvesting. Uh, we don't see it here, but the indication is, if this is uh, a, a an analogy to a normal far- farmer, he's watering and weeding, he's doing normal duties, and yet he's understanding that the fruit is not coming through his work. It's coming from something intrinsic in the seed. It's coming from some power. And some plan that is beyond his purview, that is beyond his strength or his knowledge. We see it even here. He knoweth not how. This is a man who is sowing, who's doing the tasks, but understanding that the reaping, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the fruit, the benefit is going to come not from him. This is uh, in verse 28, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. There's something natural about the fact that seed, when placed in the ground, is going to do a variety of different things that you cannot do for it. With the most sophisticated computer programs that you could possibly want, you wouldn't be able to uh, game out where exactly each little tendril of root should go. Where each, where the bud should come up, the, the development of the leaves. These are things that are wonders. If you've seen, uh, I've, I remember we used to have videotapes at our church from some of these uh, science and, uh, and the Bible, and they, you know, these scientific documentaries of seeds uh, germinating. And it was incredible to watch in, the, you know, uh, sped up motion. And stop motion and seeing how that how that how that went even what we would consider uh, barely an alive object no central nervous system and yet doing this uh, this incredible miracle of growth this is something that happens of nature but this is the kingdom of God and the other danger that we can fall into the first is thinking that we don't have an effect but the second is feeling ourselves or others on this earth are responsible for the outcome of the kingdom of God. Now that's a very, very dangerous place for us to be in. Now, of course, let's knock down the easier one first. And that is believing that some human being is responsible for the future of, of God's kingdom, either good or ill. Now, of course, there's some very easy examples of this. People will sometimes say such and such politician is going to destroy God's church in this country or in that country, or perhaps the alternative, so-and-so is going to rescue God's church. Well, of course, that's idolatry. That's, That's idolatry. That's completely unscriptural. But you might say, okay, James, yeah, certainly. Certainly, I'm with you on those. That makes sense. But we can start to invest in other people, perhaps Christian leaders. How many times do we see Christian leaders who build great churches or movements? And what is the tendency? Maybe not put in these terms, but that person is really rescuing the church, really building the kingdom. That person's work is essential. And then, of course, what's the danger? If they're shown to be uh, fallen into secret sin, or if they fall away even from belief, oh, the damage this has done to the kingdom. We have, we have this sort of thinking, and it's quite dangerous. Now, well, again, we'll get to the balancing truth. Those are perhaps easier to see. Okay, sure. No, that's true. God is higher than man's ways. God is a He who preserves His kingdom and His church, who shepherds us. Okay, no, we can understand that that is unscriptural. But indeed, even in individual churches, in individual human hearts, God is the one who allows us to grow. Now, Before we go too much further into this, we need to uh, make sure of a couple of things. Again, as I said, nothing in this passage in any way detracts from the responsibility of us to interact with the Word and with the mission that we have been given. And we see in Scripture that it is true that our work, our, our work or our lack of work, certainly in our own lives, impacts the fruitfulness that we can have. We see that just earlier in the parable of the sower, the first parable of the sower in this chapter. If we are, let's just turn over to it quickly. If we have a stony heart, guess what? And we have no depth, we're not digging into the scripture, we're not putting down deep roots. Guess what? That will have an impact on our spiritual lives uh, uh, if we, if we have stony a stony heart that the birds can snatch away the word a distracted heart, or if we have a heart that has good ground uh, you know has growth potential but that we have allowed weeds and thorns and other things to choke out the word, there's no doubt that what we do can have an effect, and it is also true that Uh, when I I speak of some of these things it's also true that we need to be uh, aware of the responsibility that we can have towards other people. Our work that we have been given is important. God has given us each individually missions and mission as a church. God has given us a harvest field to be at And nothing I say is meant to detract from our responsibility to make wise decisions, to work hard in that harvest field, to be pure and holy in our walk with God, and to do everything to the glory of God. Nonetheless, we can rest in something, which is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, His church, His work, goes forward. And we can choose to be a partaker in that, we can choose to be assisting with that, or we can choose not to be. But it is going to go forward. You know, I think uh, uh, an early example in Scripture of, uh, of, of this uh, lesson, it's interesting to see because this lesson was given uh, to Jesus' disciples. And what do we see a little bit later now Jesus is saying something very very important here my kingdom will grow my kingdom will grow and will bear fruit Jesus is saying that there he is not saying here and he's saying it's going to bear fruit even in ways you didn't understand you didn't think possible you don't understand how it's growing how it's bearing fruit how this is happening. And he's saying this to his disciples who are going to experience this for themselves. We see actually uh, uh, Jesus explaining this later when he says, My kingdom is not of this world, or else my children would uh, fight. Of course, we see, however, that certain of his disciples did want to fight. They did want to fight. We see uh, throughout scripture how often. Uh, His disciples struggled with this concept, struggled with the concept that God's work would go through, even through ways that seemed absolutely deadly to his church. Again, if you would have asked the disciples, okay, I'm going to run through what's going to happen, and then you tell me whether you believe that God could work through this. You're going to be down to just you and the disciples, basically, and then everyone's going to forsake Jesus. In fact, your leader, the one who said uh, Jesus, uh, kind of uh, tacitly was suggesting, was going to take a really leading role. You're you're kind of the leader of the disciple, one of the leaders of the disciples, is going to deny ever knowing Jesus three times, even after being warned that he was going to. One of your number is going to betray him. He's going to be tortured to death. He's going to be put on a tree. He's going to die on that cross. All right. The kingdom's going to come out of that. Guess what? (laughs) When the disciples were told at various times that Jesus was going to die, they they refused to believe it. Because they didn't understand. How could they possibly have understood that God's victory, that Jesus' victory over sin and death would come through his most vulnerable, weakest-seeming moment, that that was when his strength was most apparent. How could they possibly understand that? And so then we see in them their desire to control matters and their belief that they could control matters in ways that were in opposition to Christ's way. And yet Jesus was continually telling them, my work is going to go forward. And you know what? That's something that we can be confident in. We can be confident that Jesus Christ's work is going to go forward. You know what? There's a lot of things in Scripture that we do not have very specific promises on. Okay? We don't have promises that the United States of America is going to exist in 50 years. That's that's not in Scripture. We don't have promises in political victories. We don't have promises even that our families are going to stay together we don't have promises in our own health we don't have promises in employment now we we have promises that relate to some of these things God will supply all our needs we know that but and we know that if we follow the Lord our families are more likely to be stable we know that if we follow the Lord, our relationships, our marriages are, are more likely to be good. Even our employment, if we are following God's word and being a hardworking person who's responsible and truthful and trustworthy, are more likely. We don't have promises on that. But one thing we do have a promise on is that God will preserve his church. Not only that, we also have a promise that if we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will preserve us. That he will continue the work that he has done in us. Now again, we have our own responsibilities. I believe that we are perfectly able ourselves to try to resist that work of the Holy Spirit that he desires to do in our life. And there will be many, I think, at the last day, who will see as their works are burnt by with fire... We'll see all the different ways in which God was desiring to do amazing things for his glory in them and through them. That they spent their time on other things. That, would, that does exist. And yet, we can rest in the truth that God's word and God's a power will go forward. And we think about this throughout history. I just mentioned the disciples. Imagine telling them, no, this is going to where the church would be, that the church would even exist years, years from then. Their flesh, I'm sure, would have found it extremely difficult to believe, even as they rested in faith on that. But you see, throughout uh, the history of the church, how many times the church has come through, time, through times and circumstances, that it's very difficult to see how God preserved it. Times in which the uh, uh, the uh, the area or the government or the culture was incredibly resistant and was uh, engaged in the most fearful persecution. We see that still in existence today. There's still uh, there's not only still I would say ever ever increasing laws. In various countries, India, certainly China, Russia, many other countries, many of the Muslim countries, of course, I would say probably all the Muslim countries, have laws on the books that make it a crime to evangelize, to preach the gospel. Uh, uh, in some places, like uh from what I understand, in Russia, it's it's uh, uh maybe a lighter sentence. Than in others, but you're still not allowed to do it. Then other places, specifically certain states in India, it's a very serious crime. If you are to share the gospel and try to convert anybody to Christianity, it's a very serious crime. Of course, in China, of course, in the Muslim country, many Muslim countries, and many other areas, it is a great crime. This is something that has existed historically and exists very much in today's day and age, times in which the culture uh, uh, was more or less a uh, resistant uh, sometimes extremely resistant we see that and feel that growing now even in our nation and other times uh, seemingly less resistant or more accepting but we also see times at which the church itself seemed extremely corrupt times at which the churches that uh, were the largest and the most notable were led by people who personally were very corrupt And thus, whose doctrine became very corrupt. Think of how many years throughout the history of the church, uh, of the followers of Jesus Christ, the largest aspect of Christianity was completely corrupt. The largest institution upholding Christianity was completely corrupt. And yet, God's work went forward. And yet, His kingdom grew and was preserved. His word went forth. God has the power. God has the desire. God has the plan to preserve his church. And that's something that we can rest in. That's something that we can not just rest in, but glory in. We are more than conquerors. Now, does that mean that we are doing the conquering? No, it's through him who loved us. It's him who saved us. Him who endows us with his grace. It is not us who are the conquerors. And yet, we know that we are on the winning team. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that in our lifetime, does that mean in the life of this church, Does that mean in our lives in this nation or in this city that we will be conquering in a uh, worldly, earthly sense? Sometimes we get a little sucked into that, right? We feel like we are conquering when we are making the culture different. Certainly sometimes we are called to do that. But we are also called, like Jeremiah sometimes, to preach... Even when it seems like nobody is listening. And in fact, in Jeremiah's time, when nobody was listening, sometimes that is what we are called to do. Sometimes we are called to, uh, to uh, do good to those who never stop persecuting us. Again, we have this, we have a little bit of an idea that, well, no conquering is when we have some great story. Uh, 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 like uh, Louis Zamperini, where you know you're you're imprisoned, you're resisted, and then you come to Christ and forgive that person, and there's some great some great uh, spiritual breakthrough that happens as a result of it. Perhaps you're able to spread the gospel to a lot of former people who oppressed you. Well, maybe it looks like that, and maybe it doesn't. Maybe you die on the cross and you ask for forgiveness for all of the soldiers and all of the people who are railing against you, and maybe many of those people never believe. Maybe the people don't stop uh, persecuting. Maybe the people don't change. And yet, you know what? We don't see any indication that we are called to evaluate in this way. Now, you might say, well, James... In the parable of the sower, we see that uh, uh, the the people who f- the uh, seed that fell on good ground did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. Well, what about that? And I've heard uh, indications on on things of that nature. Well, what does the scripture say? The scripture says that it's God who gives the increase. It's God who gives the increase. Now again. We always need to be reiterating this that does not in any way limit our responsibility to plant or sow or water it does not limit our responsibility to carefully tend this is not a call that we can just haphazardly shout the gospel uh at a, at a few different people and then go home satisfied that we've done all we can we are to follow the Word of God and the Word of God gives us a whole lot of commands on how we ought to exist as Christians in this world. A whole lot of uh, uh, statements about how we are to love God and love one another. We are called to do that. Nevertheless, Scripture is also very clear that the increase comes from God. And we can rest on that in, in two different ways. We can rest on that in faith that God will bring forth the increase from our labor, and that that increase, that uh, that harvest, whether it's reaped by us or others, is what God has uh, told us to do and what has required us to do. But it's also a call not simply to faith, but also to our humility. It's a call to our humility. Because it's a reminder that to the extent we see any good coming from our work, our life, our ministry, our spiritual, personal, spiritual walk. To, that, to the extent we're seeing any good, it's from the natural or supernatural, rather, working of the Spirit in our lives. It's not from our works of righteousness. It's not from our strength. It is from the operation of the Spirit within us. And to the extent that we are praying for it in others, that as we're sowing the seed, we're praying for it in others, it is something that we cannot control in others. Now that's a very difficult thing, I think, for each one of us because each one of us has loved ones that we pray for salvation for. I don't think that's wrong to do. There's, each one of us has uh, uh, family members and friends and perhaps co-workers and uh, even perhaps whole cities of people that we would love To see, be fruitful for the Lord. And yet, we can rest on something which is that it is not our labor that does that work. Now again, we need to sow. We do. We need to water. As God gives us wisdom and God gives us vision, we need to have a heart and a passion for souls. And yet, and yet, we can rest on the fact that as we sow, what can we do? What do we see here? What's, the, what's a word that jumps, uh, jumped out to you, that jumped out to me from this, especially from verse 27? As if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, that is to say, go to bed at night, wake up during the day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. This is a great example because it's a great reminder of this truth. We are not called by the way to be uh, thoughtless or careless Christians and yet each one of us has seen ways in which God has worked in our life in ways that we could not possibly have imagined. God has worked that way in the, in the growth of this church at times, this building, the, the beginning of this church even as people like my father and many others worked very hard had devoted themselves very sacrificially to, to winning souls. The fact is that God's plan goes forward in ways that we can't always expect and that we can't always understand and what's more, that we can't always see. That's the hard part about this. This is not the same, this is not the parable of the man building a building. Having specific materials and a specific plan And you go in there and you knock one board, a nail through two boards and then they're nailed together. And if you follow the plan with the right materials and you do it with the right way, then the building comes up and it's good. That's not what this is. You are putting it in, you are putting seed and then you're not seeing anything for a while. And then when you do see it, maybe it takes some time even to develop and even then it can can fall apart. You don't know. In this case, though, we know that the kingdom of God will flourish and it will go forward and it will not be resisted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, as we rest in this, what is then our requirement? Our requirement is first to recognize the work of God in his church the primacy of god in his church jesus christ is the chief cornerstone he is who we are all building on if we want to build anything and that is what he is building on his work that is what we are to be based on jesus christ the chief cornerstone and jesus makes a variety of promises throughout scripture uh, we we see a lot of promises about uh, from God that He will uh, He that He will complete the work He has begun in us. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That uh, uh, Jesus even said that those who God gave Him He has not lost one. We know that uh, 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 that God will preserve us. Not one will be snatched. Not one will be snatched from the hand of God will be snatched from Jesus Christ's hand. And so, first of all, we acknowledge the primacy of God, that God's power is what brings us forward, that God's power is what grows his kingdom, that God's purposes and ways are above our ways, and that God will uh, be victorious. We acknowledge that. That is something that ought to uh, give us pause, that ought to make us humble, that ought to also fill us with joy, that ought to fill us with hope, that ought to fill us with trust, that God is doing a good work, and that God will continue to do a good work, and that God will preserve and grow his kingdom. And it also ought to make us realize that our responsibility our responsibility, is to do the work that God has given each one of us to do. there's a a temptation to uh, begin trying to micromanage God's work. It can happen. And each one of you who has dealt with somebody, perhaps who's a micromanager, at a certain point, you start to say, it's going to figure itself out. Now, I'm the opposite of a micromanager, and so I've been the person a lot more saying, it's going to get figured out and generally it does get figured out but i will say on occasion in human matters it's gonna figure itself out is not always the greatest plan okay there's a balance between it'll figure itself out and we're going to plan out every single detail but what we know is that when it comes to the plan for god's work that we don't have to worry about it that much again we are called to occasionally make a sound uh... Uh, plans looking ahead for uh, various aspects of our ministry. That's not to say that it's wrong to say, hey, next week, Lord willing, we're going to do, uh, you know, uh, corn Sunday. It's not next week. That's not an announcement. But uh, it's, there's nothing wrong with doing things of that nature. And yet, even as we do that, we ought to be reminded that it's God's plan and it's God's plan that will go forward and it's God's plan that will bear fruit. So as we work in the harvest field, I'm looking around, I'm seeing a whole lot of people who are very committed and very busy in God's harvest field, and praise the Lord for that. That's a great blessing. Be reminded, though, be reminded that it is God who brings the increase, that it is God who is responsible for the growth of his kingdom, even as we are responsible for individual work In his harvest field. You know what? This is such a fascinating little clause here in this this passage. And the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. How many times have we seen incredible, incredible blessings of God in our spiritual walks or in our uh, ministry or in the world, and we say, I know not how? God, I don't know how you arranged that. God, I don't know how you brought that passage into my mind at this moment. God, I don't know how you brought this spiritual brother or sister alongside me to give me uh, to give me comfort or give me perhaps a word of encouragement or correction. God, I don't know how you arranged this where I was looking at some different aspect of ministering to other person, uh, some other person, and all of a sudden. They were listening to the radio and they heard a message from somebody else. And it, it, the Spirit used it in their life. Think of how many times this occurs and has occurred throughout history. I mean, history is just filled. The history of the church is just filled with so many examples of God's providence, His spiritual providence, because, again, God wants to and God will preserve His kingdom. God's work will go forward. So, as we go forward, this is again not a call to labor any less. This is not a call to care any less. This is not a call to even be wise and good stewards and plan any less. This is a reminder to understand. To understand that uh, as we go out and as we sow and as we water and as we weed, that God... His ways are above our ways. That God's plans are ones that we can't always see. That God's work may be going forward in ways that we don't uh, see and perhaps we never will see. Perhaps seed that we sowed with somebody will bear fruit in some other city, in some other area, and we'll never hear about it. But we can go forward not in any way discouraged just because we don't see the fruit in some different way, just because it seems like we're getting resistance, just because it seems like things are not going the way we would like them to go, because we serve an omnipotent God. We serve a conquering God. We serve a God who is all-knowing and all-wise. And we serve a God who is all-loving. We serve a God whose purposes will go forward, whose uh, work will go forward, And who, when we reach the end of time, when we are gathered together, when we are around the throne, that we will be able to look back, I believe, and say, oh, we'll be able to look back and say, wow. Some of us, even in a limited sense, we can see that and have testimonies of that, even in an earthly sense. So many times God has led me where at the time, I just didn't know how it was happening. I couldn't understand how it was happening, and I had to trust. And I come out the other side and say, "Wow, God, you led me through that." In the same way, I think I am confident that when we are no longer seeing through that glass darkly, we are going to understand. We are going to see. But now it is given to us to trust. Trust that God's work is going forward. Uh, that uh, God's church will not be resisted, and that our place and our part will be rewarded someday as we follow in what God's will is for our life. All right, let's close now with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the grace that you have worked in each one of our lives. I thank you for the call that you have given us. I thank you for the call that you have given this church and each one of us individually. And Lord, we know that we can accomplish nothing if it is not through your grace. Lord, we know that we can accomplish nothing if it is not through our power, or through your power. Our power is nothing. Our ability is nothing. And Lord, we know that as we do as we are called to do, as we do what your word tells us to do, that we can do that confident and secure in the knowledge that your Word will go forward, and it will have its intended effect. Lord, that you are in control, that you are uh, uh, able to, and will preserve your uh, your word and your spirit in this in this world, and that your uh, that souls will be saved as a result. We we pray these things. We thank you for these things. We bless your name tonight, Lord. In your name, Amen.